This episode of the Stock Market Movers podcast is brought to you by Calamero in St. Helias. Come and see us when you're in Auckland, or if you're already in Auckland, come and see us when you're in St. Helias. Check out www.calamero.co.nz for more information. It is Saturday, the 20th of June, 2020. My name is Jeremy Medlin, and welcome to episode 89 of the Stock Market Movers podcast. Just a quick reminder that nothing that I say today should be considered financial advice, and if you're looking for financial advice, I recommend that you speak to an authorised financial advisor. Rightio, I've been warming up all morning listening to podcasts, so here goes. Hopefully this is a good one. Let's start with Cook's Global Food Limited. Who is that, you ask? They trade on the NZX under the ticker code CGF. These guys own the master franchise for the Esquire's coffee brand, excluding New Zealand and Australia. Um, so they announced during the week the acquisition of Triple Two Coffee in the UK, which I hadn't heard of, um, but they are a growing coffee franchise over in the UK. A- according to the update, they have 13 franchise locations and 15 in the pipeline. Um, I, f- I found this update to be really interesting. Um, it's not normally a company we talk about, but interesting just because it, of, of some of the details. I mean, straight away, you, you guess that it's in their warehouse. You know, Esquires is a coffee franchise. They're acquiring another coffee franchise. So this is a company that understands coffee probably. Oh, we'd hope so. And they also understand franchising. So that's two things there. And with Esquires in the UK, you'd think they'd understand franchising in the UK. So they've been working on it for the last 12 months, which is interesting. They, they talk about synergies, which you'd expect there to be. I, I just found the, the structure of the deal and the purchase price quite interesting. So it was 7.25 the high, 7.25 times the highest EBITDA achieved by Triple Two Coffee in any of the calendar years, 2019, 2020, 2021, 2022. So you might need to listen to this a couple of times um, to understand and maybe go read the update because I might not explain it as well. So in 2019, the EBITDA was just over a million dollars, maybe a million pounds, sorry. So they're using this as the base price and 90% of the purchase price is based off this. and that's been settled today through the issuance of 100 million shares in Cooks. And remember that issuance because I'll come back to it. The balance of the purchase price will be paid in cash, not stock, um, so cash, to the vendors based on what the EBITDA will be, be in the following year. And the increases will be paid in cash. So if it's way more, so if, if it's double in 2022, um, then it will be 7.25 times that amount and the, the difference will be paid in cash. Uh, it's quite a savvy structure from, from the Cook's perspective um, as incentivized growth and that growth they get paid in cash in. So it's, a, it's, it's interesting there. But the interesting part I think is the stock part. Now I don't want to be cynical and critical of Cook's as I, I did not know them that much about them and they could be a great stock to own so you know that's a big caveat there. But if you were Selling your business, would you accept payment and stock from a company that has had negative cash flow from operations in each of the last 10 years and has reported an operating loss in nine out of the last 10? Um, you know, the diluted earnings per share has doubled in the last 10 years. Basically, they're, they're propping the company up each year by issuing stock. So, you know, I'm not being critical, but I guess it's a bit different to receiving payment and stock from like Berkshire Hathaway or Apple, you know, it's a different jam. Um, now, the, the reasons why you, you would be comfortable with it, one could be that your business is in the mud um, after COVID and you have to accept what is put in front of you. That's Although that sort of, that statement may not make sense when you consider that if they've been working on the deal for the last 12 months. Another reason could be is that you now own 25% of Cooks and, and you feel great confidence in not only the prospect of triple two, but also the Cooks business. And then it, it could be, you know, you may know a lot about the company and you might feel comfortable with, but really interesting structure of the deal there. 
Um, let's look at Metro Performance Glass. Um, you would expect that a company that has revenues of two hundred fifty-four million and a gross profit of one hundred fifty-four, one hundred fifteen million, cash flow after capex something like twenty-two million, to be worth more than its forty million market cap. Yes, you would. Um, the, the trouble is that shareholders are not likely to see any of this cash flow for a while, and the reason for that is Metro Performance Glass or MPG, as it trades on the NZX, they have too much debt. Um, they did. They did reduce the interest-bearing liabilities, so debt from eighty-eight point eight million to eighty-one point six million, and they're going to have to keep doing that for a while. Basically, the money that you were receiving as dividends is, or should be receiving as dividends, is going to have to go to debt reduction. Why have they got so much debt? The reason is poor. Well, poor might not be the right word. They might have made good acquisitions, but they paid too much for them. Um, you'll see this on the income statement because they wrote off a bunch of goodwill, something like eighty-six million worth, meaning they reported an operating loss before tax of sixty-seven million. And man, their the, the debt cost them so much as well. Finance expenses were just under seven million in two thousand and twenty. Um, so far out. Um, one comment annoyed me in the update. I'm pretty grumpy today, right? Um, they they said that the. $86.5 million impairment of goodwill was due to a softer outlook for New Zealand construction. And I'm sort of like, mm, really? Um, of course, there, there might be a softer outlook on construction. You could, Everyone will probably agree with that. But could it also be that you overpaid for the acquisitions? I mean, here's the thing. Did they never think that there would be a softer outlook for construction again? Um, did, did they justify previous purchase prices on the basis that construction was always going to be strong? I mean, that's not what's happened in the past, but was, was that the assumption they were making? And that's what they're essentially saying if you invert it, that construction is always going to be, was always going to be strong. That's, that's why we paid, paid the price that we pay. I mean, it's preposterous when you think about it. So just say that you overpaid. It's, there's no shame in that. Just say you made a mistake and you paid a little bit too much. Um, it's, it is a shame. This is the kind of company that I'd be interested in buying shares in. I mean, but, but debt has a, a chokehold on them at the moment. And unfortunately, it will it should, it should will be, but it also should be a while before shareholders receive the cash flow that they should be receiving as dividends. And without debt as it stands, I think the company could probably pay out 15, 15 million a year as dividends. And I'm, I'm assuming here that basically all the interest that they're and all the financing expenses that they're accruing at the moment will get paid out as dividends. But you, you whack a 6% yield on that, and you've got a market cap of $250 million. So unfortunately, there's a, a long road of, of debt reduction ahead for Metro Performance Glass. Let's move on to Erode, ERD on the NZX. So for those that like reading books with pictures, this is a great annual report. They went all out on the pictures. It's one of the more impressive reports I've seen from that respect. I think the first 65 pages before we hit the financial statements could probably have been squeezed into 10. But they are celebrating some strong growth, so let them at it. So revenue came in at 81.2 million, an increase from 61.4 in the prior year. They reported a small net profit um, the balance sheet looks similar to last year, but cash and cash equivalents decreased reasonably significantly while borrowings increased. There was not a huge jump in assets, so this suggests that they did move through some cash in the year. So they've, they're, re, they're reinvesting reasonably heavily into the business to fuel growth. So that they're mostly doing this from cash flow, um, which is nice to see. If they have another year identical to this, however, then they will need, then they'll likely need to find some cash in somewhere, be it a capital raise or, or taking on more debt. Although they are growing, so that growth might nullify, might nullify that. Revenue increased 32% to $81.2 million, as I mentioned. EBITDA margins improved 20, 
from 25% to 33%, which they said reflects improved operating leverage. That's that's an interesting part of the E-Road thesis, if you were to write one, is their operating leverage, especially as they um, continue to hopefully grow in the United States, which we'll come to later. Um, you'll want to see more of that if you're a shareholder. Um, monthly revenue per unit increased to 50, $58.38 per month from 55.08, which is nice to see as well. So it's nice to see that sort of organic growth on, on top of the you know, greenfield, green site growth, I guess you could say as well. Um, my understanding of the E-Road strategy is that they're using the New Zealand business to leverage their growth into the United States. So revenue in New Zealand increased 21% to $53.4 million. So you can see straight away that New Zealand is currently their largest market. Sales in the United States increased 62% to $24.8 million. So starting to get traction there. This is what you want to see, big growth in the United States. And if they continue growing like that, it won't be long before the United States market is bigger than the New Zealand one. So it'd be interesting to see, watch the percentages on their growth in the United States. That's what I would say, because I always, you know, describe, you know, New Zealand as, as quite a small pond in terms of, you know, for big companies, it's, it's not a big market for them. But, you know, United States is sort of like an ocean. Um, so... I think what you don't want to see is like a fast tapering off of that growth number in the United States. You know, of course, you know, you can't grow at 62% per annum forever, but because it's such a big market, I don't think you want to see that, you know, quickly dropping down to sort of 10 or 7%. It probably means they're not getting the traction that they want. So you want to see that, that those high growth rates continuing. That's what I want to see. So, Company invested fifteen point six million in research and development. That's interesting. Nineteen percent of the revenue, which is obviously material. What you want to figure out is how much of this is is going to fuel growth, and how much is just ensuring. How do I say, like the continuing viability of the product? Because I think you can you look at that in in, in both different ways. It's hard to figure out, and they said it was both in the report. So it'd be that's something that you'd have to do some deeper research in to to figure out. Um, how did COVID? impact them it didn't really seem to the stock largely bounced back from its covid lows it looked like a good buy based on cash flow at a dollar 80 per share in a retrospect is great um the market seemed to like this news and the stock jumped nearly 12 percent on friday as well which is interesting um just some other quick updates Pushpay released its 2020 annual meeting presentation go have a look there's no need for me to talk about it as it's sort of similar things that they've already talked about in their annual report sky city replaced completed its share placement and I believe SmartPay did as well. Here's a good headline. Abano responds to media speculation. It reads a bit more like a tabloid this one. Um, so there was an article on the NBR and I'll read directly from the Abano update here. The article states that negotiations between Abano and a Australian private equity firm BGH Capital and Ontario Teachers Pension Plan are in full swing with a decision imminent. It also refers to BGH Capital having submitted two proposals to Urbano, one including an offer of $3 per share and another including three twenty-five per share. Where does Urbano trade it at the moment? I should have had this ready, I'm sorry. Um, sorry, excuse me. So it's, it's at three oh two a, a share right now, so... You know, it's trading around the, the price that it's it's at. I mean, it's a bitter pill to swallow for long-term Urbano shareholders with a stock previously at over, over $10, nearly $10 a share in the past, which is a a, a tough one. Urbano notes, notes, 
with concern that confidentiality has been breached by a source with knowledge of the process. They're not happy about that. Um, it just seems like a bit of a mess, <laughs> to be honest, if you go read the update and, and see what you think. What else have we got? Um, Seeker, the Kiwi Fruit Company, they've cancelled their dividends. Lots of companies are just holding on to cash and raising cash at the moment, which makes sense as... You know, there's, there's two parts to that. I think obviously a lot of companies need to do it, but a lot of companies may be seen as an opportunity to do it as well. It sort of slips under the radar a bit maybe because everyone's doing it. Um, Convita's also doing it. They completed a, re- a retail entitlement offer. Um, here we go. We've got another update from Air New Zealand. It seems that each week we're getting new stuff from them at the moment. I guess they haven't got much planes to fly at the moment, so they have more time for announcements. I'm, I'm joking there, by the way. Um. They've got a lot of tough decisions to make at the moment, so they're, they're flat out as well, even though they're not flying as much as what they were. Um, they're going to report... I mean, I'm sorry, they're expecting to report an underlying loss before other significant items of $120 million for the 2020 financial year. Um, it's nutty when you think about it because the company reported an interim profit of $198 million for the six months ended 2019. So then just six months later, we've got a full-year loss of $120 million. I, I think I've said before, it's, it's quite staggering how quickly things have turned on its head for Air New Zealand. It really is. So I'm really looking forward to next week's, <laughs> next week's update from them. Right, let's move on to a couple of Facebook questions from the NZX Stock Market Investors Facebook group. Um, this is a, a, a really good one to start off. Um, I'm not going to, as, as normal, I'm not going to name the names of the people that are posting this, but here we go. Not intending this to be racially motivated or political, just strictly business. But does anyone else find public companies spending large amounts of investor money on Black Lives Matter movement a misallocation of capital? Google, YouTube, or Google and YouTube are the same crowd. Nike um, from memory and tons of others that aren't coming to mind. If they have spare cash, why not pay a dividend and let investors do what they like with it? Personally, I'll move out of any positions that fund this cause just as if they were funding any other non-business-non-cash-generation-related activity. These are public companies, not charities. Does anyone else feel me? So really interesting post. Um, I guess that the poster is making the assumption that the companies that are posting about Black Lives Matter don't receive any advertising benefit from it. Um, I, I guess that's the assumption that he's making. And if that's the assumption he is making and it is true, then you could very well argue that it is a misallocation of investor capital and it is and the, the directors or CEOs that's making that decision is misallocating investor capital. Although I'm not sure necessarily, say for example, if Nike, I, I don't know Nike, any of Nike's um, advertising, but if Nike was doing a, a Black Lives Matter campaign, I think you'd be hard-pressed to argue that there isn't any advertising benefit there for Nike. So is that a misallocation of capital? I'm not entirely sure about that. I, I, I don't think so. I think there's probably big advertising benefits for Nike and other companies to doing it. And I guess like any other advertising campaign, you assess the um, success or failure of it afterwards. And if you felt that a company was massively misallocating its capital on advertising, then it might be reason to sell the shares. But I, I'm not sure if I agree that it is a misallocation of, of capital, especially when you consider how much airtime those sorts of uh, advertising campaigns are probably getting at the moment. 
Right, there's a long and, and very interesting post here about um, MCK, which is a Millennium and Cockthorn Hotels. Um, I won't read it all because it, it goes into a lot of detail, but I'll just read the first couple of paragraphs. It goes, thoughts on MCK. Added MCK to my portfolio last week. I think it has been overlooked due to the company name. People think hotels when that generates less than half of its profits. After after delving through the last couple of annual reports, MCK and CDI, its listed subsidiary, which it majority owns, I'm convinced that this is the best value play on the NZ market. I'm not going to go into the rest of the post, but you know, it, it could be. Um, I do agree that MCK is overlooked. Um, I'm not sure if it's because of hotels. I think it was probably overlooked prior to that. I did a lot of work trying to figure out the company once in terms of its structure, um, because again, it's the sort of thing I'd be interested in. Um, you know, I understand hotels. I understand that sort of thing. Um, obviously, it's been a tough time for the hotel business and everything at at the moment. But I, I found the structure and the ownership and who the shareholders were quite difficult to understand. That's what put me off the company. And, you know, I, I like things that I can figure out pretty quickly. Um, and I, I sort of, I remember contacting the company or, or who did I, I can't quite remember who I contacted now. And I didn't really get sort of clear, simple answers from them either. So, or at least someone of my level of intelligence could figure out. Um, so I just moved on to it. But I, I agree, it, it, it could be based on the simple metrics incredibly undervalued um i just yeah there was just some things there that I, I couldn't quite easily figure out so i moved on for it next question plex just seems to be in a big hiring phase seems like they've got a few new projects going on 15 new positions being listed in the last month so yeah they they are in a um a, a growth phase i guess that's more of a, a statement to start a conversation um rather than a question but i did notice i was driving down the road the other day i, I grabbed a photo of it and i noticed there are new offices and there was a big sign plexure on the side of the building so that could be an indication that they're trying to grow as well here's a good question where is best to subscribe to get the best up-to-date market news um and they've the question has listed a, a few um different options there and you know some of them are subscription offers options you know the new zealand herald um the mbr business desk asb brief and asb notifications to be honest where i get my news from if i'm looking for nzx news or company news is i just go to the, the company filings themselves so if you type in nzx announcements into google you can you can click there and it displays the last 200 announcements i normally scroll through this there every day and that's where i get 99% of the material for, for the podcast. Um, next article, um, next one, someone's posted an article, NZ, in New Zealand share price substantially higher than what it should be, analysts warn, that's the title, I'm not going to um, go into the article, but it could be, especially if New Zealand's not able to fly anywhere for a while, um, and if they keep burning through the um the, the, the cash is, is as well, it could be. Here's a really interesting question. Hi all, not sure if this is a silly question or not, but would like to get everyone's point of view. Has anyone remortgaged their house and used the money to buy shares and service the loan with dividend payments, capital gains, etc.? Um, I personally haven't. I don't have a house to remortgage is probably a, a, a thing, but I have done similar things in the past when you think about it. Um, I, I, do, I do know investors older ones especially that have built up a lot of cash by doing similar things in, in the past by basically taking out loans that aren't that are not margin loans so lo loans that can't get called based on the movement in the stock price and 
you know, paid 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 it off the same way someone would pay off the house over time, either with their own inputs of capital or through dividend payments. I don't actually think it's as crazy as 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 it seems. I, don't, I certainly don't think it's a silly question. So, for example, I guess you could say I have done this in other aspects of my life as well. Um, so, for example, I've had a student loan in the past and also own shares. And you could say they're two separate things, but it's no different to, to getting debt somewhere else and, 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 and having shares. I could have paid off the student loan faster if I had taken that money from shares and put it in the student loan. Or, for example, my car is on finance at the moment. You get some incredibly cheap new car finance, by the way, 3%, I think, or whatever it is. Um, and I also own shares. So I'm essentially taking money, debt in other parts of my life while still having a stock portfolio. So I'm doing what the what the questioner is answering, just not in just not in the form of a, a mortgage. So I don't think it's as crazy as um, what it sounds. I think it's it's best done during times when stocks are incredibly cheap. Um, I don't think it's something that you do willingly. And like every every investment, it needs to be thought through. You you, you don't want to be making two-second decisions on, on that sort of thing. Um, but it is an interesting concept anyway. And, you know, you, you, you'd, you'd want to you'd definitely get financial advice on on <laughs> on that one. Um Here's, here's another question. I think we've asked, asked this one before, but there could be new people listening. I'm new to the NZX market. Just opened a share trading account with ASB. That's who I bank with. I was wondering what's the difference between online brokers, ASB, direct broking and sharesies, and securities brokers, Craig's, Jardin, Forsyth, Bar, etc. I'm looking at the NZX participant list and trying to make sense of that. So it sounds like you're in the right place. Bank with ASB, you've got an account with ASB Securities. That's probably where I'd stay if I was in your position. Um... ASB and Direct Broken, I actually use Direct Broken um, just because I always have. They're, they're quite similar in their business model. Um, this, the, you actually own the shares in your CSN, which is a big thing for me. Um, sharesies, I've spoken about them in the past, great way to get started. Uh, I prefer the direct ownership personally. Um, and Securities Brokers, Craig's, Judd and Forsyth Bar, etc. I would be using those if you felt like you were getting a great service from the broker that exceeded the how do I say that exceeded the price that the higher price that you're paying in commission um, and if you get that service and you're getting a service of greater value than the commission then it's definitely worth it um, I would say I don't want to make assumptions about this chap's financial situation but if you're new to the NZX market you probably don't have the at least straight away that amount that you would need to make investing with Craig's and Jardin and Forsyth Bar worth it, but that's just an assumption. I could be entirely wrong there. Um, next question. Hey, guys, just wondering if anyone knows why Augusta Capital isn't raising when the rest of the market is and where to find suitable information to help out. Thanks in advance. Uh, I don't know the answers to that. Never looked at Augusta Capital, but you can probably get a good idea if you did some research on the company. Um Next question. Here's a good one. Infratil is, and I actually weighed in on this one. Um, Infratil is raising capital. Anyone reckon they'll make a lowball offer of Sky? Um, it's not as crazy as what it seems, that question. It was actually answered earlier, asked earlier in the month. Um, I mean, I think Infratil is raising capital for other other means, right? I mean, they own an airport. 
airport's not the greatest business at the moment in this COVID environment. Airports need a lot of cash. Auckland Airport's raise money. You know, you, you you can sort of figure out why they need the money for. But I once saw a presentation for, by Tim Brown long before Infratil weighed in on Vodafone. And he was saying that he felt that the merger between Sky and Vodafone should have been out, should have been allowed to go through. So now that Infratil, you know, owns Vodafone, it's not it's 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 not out of the realm of possibility. In all honesty, um, it'd be interesting to see if it was allowed to go ahead this time. Um, but it's it's not it's not as crazy as as what it seems. And that's what I wrote. I wrote it's not as crazy as what it sounds. I once heard Tim Brown say that. He felt the Sky Dash Vodafone merger should have been allowed to happen back in the day. Doesn't necessarily mean that they th- they think it's a good buy now, but it wouldn't surprise me. They would like the cash flow. They have in the past in preferred investments that have the growth runway, but they might be interested in the synergies with Vodafone. I think it's a very interesting post, and and, that, and that's where I'll I'll sort of leave that. And that that's all we have time for anyway today. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast. Um, tune in next week. Uh, it's been episode eighty nine of the Stock Market Movers podcast for Saturday the twentieth of June two thousand and twenty. We'll see you all again next week.